Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I didn't know this morning when I made mention of something from this chapter that it would be the sermon for tonight. But nonetheless, we'll go there. How many enjoyed the service this morning? Amen. And then the worship and singing tonight as well. I felt the presence of the Lord. I was a little late from getting out of the office. I probably count on one hand how many times it happens. I hate when it happens, but I'm over there tapping my feet and so on and so forth. Amen. But we're glad to be here. Chapter 3, verse number 1 starting, and I'm going to read probably the first uh, six verses of this particular chapter. I'm just looking at it, make sure I didn't miss and put down the wrong chapter. Things like that have happened before. There's nothing worse than reading from the wrong chapter. <clears throat> and when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was come upon them because of the people, those of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept also the feast of the tabernacle, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Amen. Inspired, I suppose. Inspired by uh, the presence of the Lord and what took place around here this morning. I want to minister this subject, rejuvenating worship. Rejuvenating worship. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, God, that you have visited us here today. We're grateful, Lord, for your spirit. We're grateful, Lord, for the participation of songs and worship and voices raised and hand claps and adoration, Lord, that's been given to you. I pray, oh, Lord, touch my mind, Lord. God, your meager servant, Lord, right now, God, to be able to convey, Lord, through your word, God, a message, Lord, for us, God, inspiration, encouragement, God, perhaps, God, a mandate, Lord God, even, I pray, Lord Jesus, from heaven, God, help us now as we look to your word, Lord, and draw, Lord, understanding and strength, Lord, and guidance in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of Jesus, rejuvenating worship. King Cyrus here in the book of Ezra, actually Ezra and Nehemiah, tells the story of the returning of the exiles from Babylonian captivity. There were about three different movements of the people returning back to Jerusalem, one under Zerubbabel, another under Ezra, another under Nehemiah. King Cyrus, who was king at that time, permitted the exiles to return to Jerusalem. And this was his plea to them. This was his voice, his instruction to them. He says, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild your temple. Go back and rebuild your house of God. However, the story that plays out in Ezra and Nehemiah is quite deeper than the people just restoring the temple, than them just restoring the walls and the gates that's recorded in the book of Nehemiah. Yes, undoubtedly, as we read through these chapters and these books of the Bible, the primary task was rebuilding the temple, the house of God. The Bible even describes that there was much opposition and that there was even a long pause in this endeavor to build the temple of God. Likewise, in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible describes for us that Nehemiah thought a lot of voices, 
of the naysayers and the intimidators while they were constructing and recreating the walls and the gate of the city. The Bible almost describes at one place that when they were at the halfway point, they were being very much so intimidated and persuaded to even quit, throwing the town. But along with the reconstructing of the temple came also the need for the rejuvenating of the worshipers. They needed more than just a building. They needed more than just an edifice. They needed more than just the reestablishment of an altar and a laver and a golden altar and the Ark of the Covenant be placed in its place. They also needed worshipers for the temple. These people's lives that had been in exile had been structured for worship and to worship at temples. Prior to their exile, they knew if they was going to worship the Lord and give adoration to God, it was going to take place at the temple or at the very least toward the temple. They were told that when you pray, pray toward the temple. That whenever you ask something of the Lord, do so toward the temple. And so much of their worship experience and their praise experience involved the temple. But many of them lost their worship when they lost their temple. Many of them lost their worship whenever their temple lay in ruins in Jerusalem in a heap of smoke and a fiery display of destruction. Many of them lost their worship when they lost their temple. Others realized that, that the temple didn't make or it didn't break their worship. They understood that the temple was basically something that helped facilitate their worship. They learned that they could worship whenever they wanted to, wherever they wanted to. But for those who shut down their worship when Jerusalem was laid low, for those who disembrace worshiping the Lord whenever their temple was no longer in existence, for those even that were born in captivity and never knew a temple, never had a temple that they ever walked in, uh, had a temple in the presence of their life. Worship for them and worship for people like them needed to be revitalized and needed to be taught to those that never knew worship before when they returned to Jerusalem. And so the building, the temple encompassed more than just having the proper furnishings of an altar and a laver. It was about having a functional altar and having a functional labor. As I shared with the leadership this morning, this is just kind of bizarre. As I said, I kind of shared with them a little synopsis of this this morning, talking about how our prayers, of course, are significant when we speak about an altar. But actually, in Ezra 1, it's a little bit more specific than our prayers. Our worship is essential. Amen. Because when Cyrus told the Israelites to return home and when he told them to build their temple, the Bible says that Zerubbabel started out by making the altar. The origin even of the previous temple, of Solomon's temple, had been the altar that David had built on the threshing floor. Before there was a temple, David said, here's going to be the temple. Here's going to be the house of God. And it all started with an altar and a sacrifice on that altar. And so they began in the book of Ezra with what the previous temple had started with. And that was with sacrifice. And ladies and gentlemen, you know this, but let's just rehearse one more time. Amen. The definition of worship, when you strip it all down, when it was first used in the Bible, it means sacrifice. The first time we ever see worship used is when Abraham was going to take Isaac up Mount Moriah, and he told those servants at the base of the mountain. He says, the lad and I go yonder to worship. And there was going to be the sacrificing of his son on that altar up there. Worship in its purest form is nothing more but sacrifice. The Bible says, and Ezra 3 and chapter 3, this is from the NIV. The Bible says that despite their fear of the peoples around them, they've come back to Jerusalem, there are foes, there are opposition. It says despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. What this meant was this. That their altar was not only a visible altar. It was a functional altar. 
What I mean when I say that tonight is this. Most churches in America, if you went to visit them, they could take you into their facility and they could show you where their altar is. They could show you where its location is within their building. Many could lead you to an elevated spot within their sanctuary that they deem as their altar. Many might even point out the steps even like here. Amen. That allows the musicians and the singers to reach the platform as that being the altar. Amen. It's up front. That's where it's at. But Zerubbabel intentionally created more than a visible piece of furniture. He demonstrated an operational piece of furniture at the altar. He didn't just make it according to the prescription of other altars of time past. He says it's not just here to look at, but it's up in operation. It's functional. It's here to be what are you saying? I'm saying we need a revitalization of worship. Our altars in today's church, tomorrow's church, amen, still needs to be more than just a visible sign, a visible furnishing. There needs to be some functionality and operation about it still should be a place of sacrifice. It I want the altar of the apostolic church not just be for show or an extra step for the musicians to get the platform. Let it be a place of worship. Worship. Zerubbabel means seed of Babel. He was begotten and sown in Babylon. He is the offspring of captivity as his life developed in that environment he even became known as the prince of captivity but Haggai says this in chapter 2 in verse 23 in that day saith the Lord of hosts will I take thee O Zerubbabel my servant the son of Shealtiel saith the Lord and will make thee as a signet for I have chosen thee saith the Lord of hosts the Lord wanted to make Zerubbabel as a signet ring. He chose him. He says, Zerubbabel, you are the one I'm going to, to use to leave an impression. Those old signet, signet rings that whenever there was soft clay or, or hot wax on, on a letter or, or some type of correspondence, they would take that signet ring and they could press the seal of the individual into that, that soft clay or wax. Amen. And it left an impression. Amen. God told Zerubbabel, he says, I'm going to make you that one that leaves the impression. I know you were born in captivity. You were a seed of Babel, but I'm going to use you to leave an impression. I know you were born in the country of confusion. Amen. But I brought you back home for such a time of rebuilding everything that your forefathers loved and everything that they adored and not only building it, but participating in it. So Zerubbabel built the temple. Start where it all started, the altar. And worship there with sacrifices. That's what the scripture says. That after he built the altar, he participated in offering up burnt offerings and burnt sacrifices unto the Lord. He worshiped, in essence, at that altar. Zerubbabel proved that he knew how to build an altar, but he also proved that he knew how to use the altar that he built. He's born in captivity, mind you. He didn't have the temple of Solomon that he frequented sometime when he was younger. He was born in captivity. That's all he had ever known. But evidently somewhere along the line, his ancestors, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, though they were in captivity, let a few words be spoken to Zerubbabel's ears as he grew up about how an altar should be made and about how an altar ought to be used. And so whenever he comes back with a commission to build the temple of God, he says, we got to start with the altar and we got to start with worship. He Amen. Life where they were in Babylon was not really conducive to worship. Amen. And if you think building an altar is difficult, try using an altar. Building an altar was only half the battle. But he was to demonstrate the use of the altar. Someone say amen. Leviticus chapter 1 describes the process of offering a burnt offering 
unto the Lord. You'll read in Leviticus chapter number one. I'm going to read it for you because, yeah, we would just slow down a little bit. But Leviticus chapter one describes the process as offering a burnt offering unto the Lord. Sacrifices throughout the Old Testament was Israel's way and Israel's means of worship unto the Lord. The whole sacrifice in a burnt offering, the whole sacrifice belonged to the Lord. For fire consumption, they would lay most of everything of its pieces and parts on the altar. And the fire would come down or the fire would rise up from the altar and consume the entire sacrifice. And that was a whole burnt offering unto the Lord. It belonged to him. Now you got to understand, eating meat in this day was rare. Typically an Israelite only ate meat if he was able to offer a sacrifice. That, that, that provided that he could be a partaker of the meat. So eating meat was rare. So can you imagine taking this meaty lamb, meaty goat, and offering up to God and not being able to sink your teeth into one iota of it? Eating meat was rare. It was to be totally burnt upon the altar. No one ate of that sacrifice, if I might say, of worship except God. Because worship really isn't about us. Worship isn't about if I feel a tingle on my foot or a chill on the back of my head. Worship isn't really about me. It's not about what I get out of it. It's about what he gets out of it. It's so... I might not get a leg. I might not get any piece of meat from this. But all this, this belongs to the Lord. It's not about me. It's about him. The worshiper. Now listen. We're talking about not just having an altar, but rejuvenating worship using an altar. The worshiper brought the animal to be sacrificed. And you read in Leviticus 1, it was an animal of their herd or an animal of their flock, meaning it was a domesticated animal, some type of farm animal, some type of animal that was under their care and their guidance. An animal, might I say, that they invested in. An animal that they bought feed for or they, they had land in order for it to feed off the land. An animal that they had some labor involved, had to find pasture, lead it here, lead it there, make sure it was attended to. If it had any wounds, make sure it was taken care of. And so this was an animal that was costly to them. It was meaningful to them. And that is what God said, I want you to bring and I want you to offer to me. I want you to offer to me something that is meaningful to you. Someone say amen. Something that you deem significant. That's what I want you to bring to me. And the letter of these laws that we read in the Old Testament, understand the letter of these laws applied to ancient Israel. But their spirit continues to apply to us today. The worshiper, now look, this just is in Leviticus 1. That worshiper's bringing his sacrifice. He's coming to worship the Lord. The, God's going to have this whole thing. None of it belongs to him, although he's the one that's invested in it. He's the one that's cared for it. He's the one that's fed it. He's going to walk in there. The worshiper, you read in Leviticus 1, the worshiper brought the animal. The worshiper killed the animal. The worshiper skinned the animal. The worshiper cut the animal in pieces. Look at Leviticus 1. That was the responsibility of the worshiper. Kill it, skin it, cut it in pieces. So just when you thought worship, just when you thought worship may have been some limp-wristed hand wave or a half-mass hand raise, Worship is work. Worship gets an individual's hands, effort, and emotions involved in the set. They killed it. They skinned it. They cut it in pieces. Now you don't tell me if they had an animal for any, any certain amount of time that they invested in and fed. You know, animals are animals. Sometimes people have attachments. Doesn't matter if it's a dog or if it's a cow. There's attachments, but you invested money in that to take it to an altar and you're going to take its life. Yeah. 
Everything you invested at that moment in time, some could think it's gone. You're skinning that thing. If you have any type of emotional attachment, it is touching your emotions. As you're sacrificing, as you're worshiping, your emotions are being in. I'm not emotional. We hear it all the time. You will be when you take something that is truly meaningful to you and truly significant to you and you give it all to God. You, When you kill it, when you skin it, when you cut it. Someone say amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So worship gets our hands. It gets our effort. It gets our emotions involved. I'm sure they could not slaughter their animal for sacrifice without some type of emotion overcoming them. I'm sure they could not skin the animal and cut it into pieces. With, listen to me. Think about killing an animal, skinning an animal, cutting it in pieces. Mike, you've processed deer. Huh? Some of you others have done things along those lines. Kind of works up a little perspiration sometimes. Pulling that skin as it's tugging against the flesh. Huh? I mean, you, sometimes it, it's sticking good and you got on your mind and you're like, yeah. Someone say amen. Sometimes you, you work up a little sweat. Sometimes you increase your heart rate a little bit. It's worship. I'm an emotionally involved. I'm physically involved. Worship is not by proxy. Worship is not somebody else's concern. Meaning I'll let them skin it. I'll let them kill it. I'll let them divide it. No, no. Worship is my concern. Another's worship does not substitute for your worship. It's not me saying, well, sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so are clapping their hands and shouting and running the aisles. Nobody else needs to do that. No, no, no. It is not a substitution worship. Worship is our obligation. Worship is all of our concern. It's so you're less emotional about somebody else sacrificing their animal of what's significant to them and important to them. But when it's meaningful to you, it changes your emotional involvement. Rejuvenating worship. Worship, sacrifice, according to Leviticus, involves us worship isn't a Sunday activity and a Wednesday activity alone here we are rejuvenating that worship is daily activity whenever David in the book of Chronicles whenever David brought the Ark of the Covenant back the Bible says that he placed it in the tent that he had pitched for it. The Bible describes how David had set up 24 courses of worshipers to worship before the Lord. Whenever David brought the ark home, the Bible declares to us, this is found in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. The Bible says when he brought the ark of the covenant back home, that he burned offerings to it. And then the Bible says he appointed Levite ministers. To minister before the ark. To extol God. To thank God. And to praise God. The Bible says that David set up people to play their lyres and play their harps before the ark of the covenant. The Bible says that Asaph was to sound the cymbals before the ark of the covenant. The Bible says that there were trumpeters that were to blow the trumpets regularly. Regularly before the Ark of the Covenant. Someone say amen. 
David even has for first, if you will, in the lineup of his courses. The Bible says that Asaph was appointed to give praise this particular day. And I'm not going to read all of this because uh, it's quite lengthy. But to give you a little concept of what Asaph was to do, he was to give praise that day. First Chronicles 16, verse number 8. I'm just going to read just a little bit. Amen. Of the manner in which Asaph gave praise unto the Ark of the Covenant. I'm reading from the NIV. He says, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell all of his wonderful acts. Glory is his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and judgments he pronounced. You, his servants and descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are on all the earth. Remember, he remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham. And he goes on and on from verse number 8 to verse number 36. Asaph, that's a lot of verses. Asaph is giving praise. Unto God. Worship unto God for that day. Go all the way down to verse number 37. I'm still reading from the NIV. And it states this. That David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly according to each day's Each day's, he just spent from verse 8 to verse 36, extolling the Lord, thanking the Lord, remembering the goodness and the covenant of God. And then David said, don't leave. Don't stop yet. I want you to stay here because you got some daily requirements of worship. You got some daily requirements of worship that you need to offer unto the Lord. Each day required service. Each day required praise. Each day required ministering and worship to the Lord. It happened regularly. Each day it was needed. And my question to us tonight is this, is have you worshiped the Lord today? Every day has a requirement. Have you worshiped the Lord today? Have you sacrificed to him for today? I'm convinced that after we've given some thanksgiving and exaltation to the God, I'm convinced that some of us need to rejuvenate and hold on to that position of worship. Ah, you may not know what extinguished it. You may not even realize that it lowered to the position of being non-existent because it happened so innocently in your life. But I am convinced according to God's word, it needs to happen regularly and it involves you and there is a requirement for today. For one, we need to rejuvenate worship because this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight. Gideon started with an army of 32,000 soldiers to fight against the Midianites. Their stations and responsibilities in the war against their enemies were simple. Trumpet blowing, light shining, and shouting. Those were their positions, so to speak. And even when the army was reduced from 32,000 to 300, Several translations of the Bible indicate this in the way that they translate the Hebrew language here. That when the army was reduced to 300, the 300 took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Listen to me very clearly. What this means is they started with enough trumpets and enough lights and the people were going to be shouting, that's vocally, that, that was going to be the responsibility of the 32,000. 
when they were left with 300, all of those that went home, their trumpet didn't go home with them. Their light didn't go home with them. And the Bible describes throughout these translations of the Hebrew that the 300 that were left, The 300 that were left, what would that be? Uh, 31,700 that went home. Their trumpets, someone else had to grab. Their light, somebody else had to grab. That although, listen to Pastor very well tonight, although the number of men was reduced, the amount of trumpet blowing, and light shining and shouting did not. Those things were spread among the 300. Listen, listen, listen. Because there is a requirement. Each day. Even in battle. And when one diminishes from praise. And one slacks from worship. All that really does is tax everybody else with taking up the slack. Now, little Joey that was going to enter the, uh, the, the, the army in his position with one trumpet has a few trumpets in his hands. I know he's only got one mouth. But he's, I guess he's going to be like the old, be like the old Acme cartoons and have him up on his hand. <laughs> He's got more than one light in his hand because they did not take those home. They were distributed among those who were there. Now you're holding two trumpets and a couple of lamps. You're raising your voice in a shout trying to equal the volume of 32,000. Listen to me. The Bible says in verse 21 of that chapter that when the battle ensued, every man held his place. That's not just simply his exact location and position all around the Midianites in that camp, but every man held his position of trumpet blowing, light shining, and shouting. While the Midianites, the Bible said, cried out, and every man was running in every direction, every soldier fought their battle with their trumpet with their light and with their shouting because rejuvenated worship don't let it stop it will not stop especially in battle just because someone says no somebody else got to say yes I'll pick up their provision I'll pick up their trumpet I'll pick up their light rejuvenated someone say amen Samuel had all of Israel gather in the Bible in 1 Samuel 7 had all Israel gather at a place called Mizpah the Philistines, the Bible says, heard about it and decided to attack them. When Israel learned of this, that, that the Philistines were encroaching in on where they were, the Bible says that they were afraid. But the Bible describes the actions of Samuel. The Bible says when this was taking place that Samuel took an animal. Whenever word even just got to him, Samuel took an animal and he sacrificed a burnt offering. Pat, he worshipped. He sacrificed a burnt offering to the Lord. He worshiped. The NIV says it like this in 1 Samuel 7 and 10. And I'll read the whole thing from the King James, but from the NIV first. It says, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, while Samuel was worshiping, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. The KJV, the KJV says it like this. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day and upon the Philistines and discomfited them and they were smitten before Israel. While Samuel was worshiping, the enemy drew near. And the Bible says, while all of this is taking place, the Lord thunders and equips the people to smite the Philistines. Someone say amen. But please note that although the Philistines drew near and approached Israel, it never indicates to us that Samuel stopped worshiping. While he sacrificed, they drew. 
And whether he had understanding or knowledge of that or not, the Bible doesn't indicate to us that he ever stopped sacrificing. As he worshipped, the enemy drew near. But the Bible also declares to us that the same worship helped them defeat their enemy because the Lord thundered with a great thunder and he discomfited their enemy. It's kind of like this morning. It was exhilarating to participate in the worship service and the worship that was going on this morning. I felt the presence of God. I felt the power of God. I felt like anything was possible in the service this morning. I was in awe of God. I was in awe of his majesty. I was in all of his presence. However, I know that activity, that activity worship this morning drew the attention of our enemy. And he pulled in close and nearby because even the enemy understands worship. That if they're sacrificing, they're sacrificing quote unquote to a God. And when it comes to apostolic Pentecostals, they're sacrificing to the God. But sometimes we stop worship. We are premature. And we stop too early. Yes, worship draws the attention of the enemy. And yes, Israel was afraid. And yes, maybe even Samuel ever even knew it. But it never says he stopped because he understood the worship that drew the enemy is the worship that can conquer the enemy. When you have a nearby enemy, that's not the time to stop worshiping. That's not the time to be premature. That's the time to rejuvenate it all the more because whatever drew him can conquer him. Your worship. Someone say amen. We put ourselves in a in a very precarious situation when we worship to the place that we got the enemy's attention and then quit wor- worshiping. Because at that point you have a nearby enemy with a laid down weapon. Amen. So who cares if you get his attention? But don't stop till he's discomfited. Who cares if he draws near? Just don't stop until he's been defeated. Don't stop midway. Continue, continue. Don't stop worshiping because the enemy is drawing near. Rejuvenate. Worship. Ezra joined the efforts of Zerubbabel Ezra comes after Zerubbabel and then there's Nehemiah we see Ezra popping up in the book of Nehemiah chapter number 8 Ezra joins the efforts of Zerubbabel this building of the temple this, the gates and, and the walls and more importantly the reestablishing of the worshipers he understood Ezra did that a temple with all of the furnishings but no worshipers was just a building and a shell of what it was meant to be. Even the book of Revelation, and I don't linger here long, this is not my notes. In Revelation 11, Bob speaks in the last days, that a reed, John has a vision, a reed was given unto him like a rod. He was commanded to go in and worship, and go in and measure the temple and the altar, and that worship therein. It was almost like, If there's a temple and there's an altar, there must be. (laughs) There must be worshipers. In Nehemiah chapter number 8, if you've never read the book of Nehemiah, if you skip over Nehemiah, you need to read Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah chapter number 8, remember, Ezra is teaching people some that have been long time estranged from temple and activity of the temple. And he's teaching some that have never known the temple because they were born in captivity. Nehemiah 8 is where we have much of our practices of the church. Yeah. These people are rejuvenating worship. They are rejuvenating temple life in general. Let me show what I, what I mean whenever I say much of the practice of the church. Nehemiah 8 and verse number 5. Look at this. And Ezra opened the book. It's speaking about the book of the law. 
for our terminology, the word of God, the Bible. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. He's about ready to take a text. For the Bible says, for he was above all the people. He was standing above them and elevated on some sort of platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. What do I typically say? Let's stand for the reading. They all stood up. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord. He blessed God. Let me tell you, Ezra's even blessing God in the proclamation of his word. The great God and all the people answered. As he's blessing the Lord, they are responding. Amen. Amen. Sometimes people say glory. Sometimes they say hallelujah. Sometimes they say, thank you, Jesus. Sometimes today they say, preach it. What are you doing, Ezra? Because we don't just need a temple. You need to know how to interact with the word. And you. Amen, they said. Amen. With lifting up there. Don't skip over Nehemiah 8. Like y'all never knew why we did some what we did. There it is. He began to read. They stood for the reading of the word. He was above the people. He was elevated on some type of platform way. As he blessed the Lord, they're saying amen, amen, and raising hands. Honey, you can't get any more biblical than backing the preaching and raising your hands during. If this was important enough for Ezra to tell a people that had been long estranged from the temple and some that never knew the temple, it needs to be rejuvenated today. Amen, amen. Lifted up their hands. They responded with all this. And then the Bible says they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their face to the ground. Ezra says, Zerubbabel, I'm going to yoke up with you. We need to rejuvenate worship. We need to rejuvenate the response to the word. We need to rejuvenate an honor for God's word. Oh. <laughs> and, on, and you've heard me say it before. You're not standing, you know, no honor to me, but honor to the reading of the word. It's not for us that we do that. We do that for God's Holy word. If you were to go on down, and I'm hurrying, I'm sorry. We go on down. Verse number nine even indicates that as they heard the word, some of them wept. Because they're overwhelmed by what they hear. Because as the word's coming for you know what's happening? Some of the people are convicted about what they're hearing. Huh? And that's okay. That's biblical. Woe is us if we are not convicted to tears anymore over the word. So they, they, they're convicted and that's fine. But then Nehemiah kind of inter- interrupts and tells them in verse 10. He says, but also, he says, don't just continue mourning. Don't just continue weeping. He says, be joyful because the joy of your Lord is your strength. In other words, he's telling them it's all right to, to have tears. Amen. It's all right even to have conviction. He said, but let your mourning be turned into dancing. Let your conviction lead you to repentance and then celebration. You can rejoice because whatever may be wrong can be corrected at the house of God and then you can position yourself to receive a blessing from the Lord. We need to rejuvenate all of that. We don't need to leave without being convicted over what is incorrect in our life when the word is spoken. We need to grieve. We need to grieve. This is not the proverbial of the little slap upon your hand when you was a two-year-old. You need to grieve. But you don't need to stay in a perpetual state of grieving. You need to allow that conviction to lead you to repentance, to a place of celebration. Because you're leaving different than what you came. You're leaving with shout. You're 
you came with shackles, you're leaving set free. That's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to praise. That's a reason to worship. Ezra says, Zerubbabel, we need to rejuvenate all this. Now, I might be playing a little bit, Brother Mason. But the Bible even says in verse number 12 that after all this, the Bible says that the people went on their way to eat and drink. Who's going to McDonald's after church? Burger King. Man, you want to talk about being to the dotting of the eye biblical. They went on their way to eat and drink. And the Bible says they made great mirth because they understood the words that they heard. If you'll stand with me. Rejuvenating worship. Ezra 7. Ezra was commissioned. Ezra was called upon concerning a few things concerning this rejuvenation of worship spiel and this this instruction, this guidance that he and Zerubbabel and others of the leaders were to give to this nation that was becoming familiarized again with their temple, but more importantly, the objective and the functionality of the temple. Ezra 7 tells us that Ezra was given silver and he was given gold for this purpose, to buy and secure offerings and sacrifices since they were just now returning to Jerusalem, that they could secure some of these things. And this is the word of God, Ezra 7 and verse 19. And I believe I'm, I'm, I'm reading this from the NIV, if I'm not mistaken. He told Ezra, deliver to God, to the God of Jerusalem, all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your hope you understand what was just really conveyed right there. He says, Ezra, you've been given articles for worship. Articles for worship. Ezra, it's your responsibility to provide them, use them, and surrender them to God in worship. I've given you what you need to worship him. You've been given what you need to worship him. But it's your responsibility to take what you've been given and in return give it unto God in worship. Ladies and gentlemen, we must not become too attached to what's been given to us. To what's been given to us for the purpose of of worshiping God with. We don't want to become so attached to them that we don't provide them to the Lord for worship. Because what he has given to us, he's given to us for the purpose of worship. No wonder the psalm says, and we looked at it many times, and we quoted, and we started services with it, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye. What is that? He's given you something. He's given you something to in turn worship him with. We got to rejuvenate it. Worship is the trademark of the temple. Worship is the trademark of the church. It's an identifier of God's people. It is the overlooked weapon, so to speak. We must rejuvenate worship. Zerubbabel understood it. When he got back and they were rearranging everything, he says the first thing we got to do is make sacrifices at the altar. We got to get back to worship. Mm, my heart and soul was overjoyed this morning with the worship that was taking place around here. I kind of looked to myself and said, I kind of like this. You know, this kind of beats humdrum. And... This, this kind of beats 
European do each verse in just the course and say it done? Somebody this morning wrestled with a lamb and got it here. And they spent some time up front cutting its neck, skinning it, dividing it into pieces, and surrendered it to God on the altar and said, it's not about me. It's all about you. Can we find a place up here tonight? Let's rejuvenate the altar. Let it be more than just a step to get on the platform. Let's rejuvenate the altar. Let's rejuvenate the altar service. Let's rejuvenate worship. Let's rejuvenate praise. Let's rejuvenate interaction with the word. Let's rejuvenate our response to the word. Let's rejuvenate conviction. Let's rejuvenate worship. Just a prostrate, a prostrate falling on our face. Action before God in all of who He is. In all of who He is. And when you do that, the enemy's going to draw near. But what He's drawn by, if it's your worship, that same worship will discomfit Him. Don't stop. Don't pause. Continue in that vein. Continue in that position, in that placement. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Hallelujah. Old, middle-aged, teenager, it matters not. Rejuvenated in my spirit. Hallelujah. Rejuvenated in my spirit. I don't want it just to be visible. I want it to be functional. I don't want just those things in the church just to be there. I want their objective and their purpose to be fulfilled through and in my life. Hallelujah. Operational. Rejuvenated, oh God. Rejuvenate praise upon my lips. Rejuvenate adoration in my heart. Rejuvenate my connection with your word. Brother and Sister Mason, hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.